Happy Friday, Mickey. What uh, what do you have in store? Uh, any any exciting plans for the weekend? Yeah, uh, we'll be up, up in the Poconos this weekend camping, um, going with some friends. They're they're going with us, taking a couple of families, and of course our friends are going to be tent camping, um, which you- is real camping, and it's of course not what we do. Um, I couldn't tent camp um, in this type of heat. But anyway, we're going up to uh, the Poconos and we'll be spending a long weekend there on a lake and getting to fish and kayak and hike. Any plans to uh, boondock or or not this trip? <laughs> no, no, no boondocking this way. We'll have uh, full power water and sewer hookups ready to go. Air conditioning primary here, um, keeping us cool. Yeah, but I'm really excited for it uh, it's because it's been a couple of weeks. Well, welcome everyone to Fanatical Fridays with Mickey Baines. Our goal each week is to discuss the traits, the strategies, and the tactics that separate the best enrollment management teams from the rest of the pack. Mickey, uh, thanks again for for being here. Uh, anything that's been on your mind this week, anything specific that you've been noodling on that you'd like to share with us? Sure. Well, you know, this has been a, um, a different week uh, for me. We, we just finished and wrapped up submitting a proposal, a relatively large proposal. And um, it's for an RFP. We don't do a lot of RFPs um, at Canadian Company, at least for our technology practice for sure. And, um, you know, m- most of our work comes in the form of referrals or return clients. Uh, so we don't have to, which I'm I'm grateful for. Um, you know, I, I know in working with schools, very few people like writing out the RFP document itself. Very few of the vendors like submitting the RFP documents. It's just not a fun process for a lot of people. Um, but when you go through that, um, you know, it re- it requires you to do a lot of thinking. It requires you to do a lot of planning. Uh, and and as me being who I am, I do a lot of reflection after. And and you know, I think one of the things that's more unique about us is we probably spend equal amount of time on both sides of this process, hmm. um, helping uh, several times a year, helping schools build out the requirements that they put inside of an RFP so that they can find the right solution for them, and then responding with a vendor um, saying, hey, we can actually do this. Now, of course, we don't do both. If we're having a client build that, we don't submit um, the response to it, but um, but we do work on the other side of it. And you know, one of the things that kind of stands out to me it's always very easy for me to capture when I read an RFP document that a school has sent out how well um, someone or a group of people at that institution know much about serums or not. Hmm. Um, and there are times that we will not even submit a response because it's very clear that the institution doesn't have someone who knows and and – while those are a lot of times the institutions I enjoy helping best um, because there's so much value that can gain from there's a lot of teaching that can go on um, and helping folks really learn how to use the tool. That's for me, uh, at least I uh, can't speak for my entire team. But for me, at least that's my, one of my favorite parts and most rewarding parts of the work is, is helping folks see and getting, having those aha moments so they can really begin using the, their, their new technology. But, you know, but when someone doesn't have that clear sense, when you write that document, it leaves a lot of ambiguity. A lot of vendors don't know how to respond to certain things. And, and there's always this question and answer process when the RFPs out there where you can submit your questions. And when you get the answers back, 
um, you you rarely get real clarity in that. And I think the danger in that is when when an institution who doesn't know what they're reading in responses is very difficult for them to understand the true nuances and differences in yeah. the submissions that they're seeing, uh, and it can lead to a poor decision. You know, some of the unfortunate work that we do with implementations is helping an institution implement a, a new CRM or new form of technology because their prior one failed. Um, it failed either at implementation. We've had it where it's where it's failed at implementation and they ditched the product altogether. We've had it where the implementation and the product has failed thus far for two, three, four, sometimes five years and gone in and said, let's help you rebuild this the way it should be. And then now you can go use it. Um, or, or someone who implemented successfully, still never really used it, didn't like it, um, and end up changing three to five years later. And, you know, the, that's frustrating for the teams. Um, and, out, you know, uh, it should be frustrating for them. So, you know, that just thinking about, you know, what you put into the RFP and, and ensuring that you have a resource that understands it. And if you don't, finding one, and I don't mean necessarily because some schools can go out and, and hire a firm to help with that. Some of them can't. Um, but finding some resource to say, look, we can't, you know, I'm always willing to take this call. We can't bring you in for this. We, we that's just not going to be within our budget to do that. But are the three things that, you know, that I need to know and, and what can, you know, what, what can tips can you give me? Um, you know, and, and, and I'll just share one of them right now is if you don't know, you can go online to find publicly available RFP documents out there for that other schools have submitted. Yeah. Find one that you can tell makes sense when it's written by someone who knows what they're doing. Um, and I don't mean copy and paste. I'm not we're saying that, but you can at least understand what they're looking for in specific requirements of, of functionality. When you're talking about an events management system, when you're talking about um, a form builder, if you're talking about an application um, review process tool, you know, all of those things, what is it you need to be asking so that you can really differentiate your responses more clearly? So, I, but that's, that's on my mind. I, I love that. And, you know, I think that uh, as you were as you were talking, one of the things that just popped into my mind is it'd be really interesting. We were we were talking, Mickey, earlier about how on, you know, the vendor side of things, right, when we're uh, crafting proposals, uh, whether it's in response to an RFP or, or otherwise, uh, in the era of COVID-19, it's really hard because you don't have the opportunity to present that proposal to everyone in, within the context of a meeting. Uh, and as such, you have basically the same conversation with multiple stakeholders um, and you're answering the same questions and it can be exhausting and uh, cumbersome for both, you know, the, the prospective uh, client and also the vendor. Um, but uh, one of the things that just popped into my mind that maybe folks should consider doing, especially if you're a director and you're responsible for um, helping out with uh, the RFP process in some capacity, it'd be really interesting to have the vendors record like a a you know 15 to 20 minute like Loom video. Uh, Loom's like a, a screen recording software where basically the vendor like walks through uh, their proposal and their response to uh, the RFP. And that way, like they could they could call attention to specific areas that might otherwise like within the context of a 30, 40, 50 page sort of response um, might otherwise go a little bit unnoticed. And it would be really interesting to and and maybe also a way to kind of save time for everyone. If this little like recorded video of me walking you through why I responded this way, uh, you could then pass that along to your VP, your dean, um, and then sort of kind of solicit uh, an and really aggregate uh, questions that uh, all parties might have and then respond directly back to to the vendor. Anyways, 
for any partners that might be listening to this, I think that that would be a really interesting uh, tactic to try. Because again, like Mickey, you were saying, one of the things that is challenging from the partner side of things when, when we're responding to these RFPs is how do you truly differentiate yourself? Uh, you know, our enrollment management friends um, are incredibly busy and their, uh, their deans are even busier. So how do you differentiate your solutions um, from your, from your competitors? And a lot of the time, right, folks can be reading uh, RFPs that uh, appear identical um, with subtle nuances, but those subtle nuances, at least from the partner side of things is what makes their solution uh, especially valuable. So Takeaway, I think uh, I would love to see more uh, uh, RFPs submitted that are coupled with like a short video that helps walk folks through sort of the major components, uh, specifically the major differentiators um, of the proposal. You know, uh, now this is digressing slightly, but you're, when you're talking about the video, um, two things come to my mind. Um, one, there'll be some uh, institutions listening to this um, that'll right away say, nope, can't do it. Um, and, 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 and the reason they'll, they'll say that, uh, and, and it's somewhat valid is, you know, this, these public institutions have so much, there's their, their requirements, what they have to have, and they're very rigid in terms of a response. Sure, sure. Um, and, and I don't know if they, some of them really may not allow video, but that's it. I really like the idea. And it reminds me, um, there's um, one of the uh, marketing automation and CRM platforms out there, one that you and I know well, HubSpot. Um, I remember seeing some firms that use that were using HubSpot to build their presentation within that that was in a video format hmm. um, um, so that you would get a special um, password-protected landing page for your proposal. And you click there, and it would start the video, and they would walk through page by page of the proposal and what it's saying and what it means. Um you get to see the team. They're introducing other people that would be working for um, that particular um, client that they're proposing to. You know, this is going to be your account manager. Um, Amanda, say hi. You know, which I think is a great way to, to connect with someone before you get the chance to to be on site if, if the proposal, you know, gives an on-site demo piece to it. But still, um, but you saying that just reminded me of that. And I've always said, oh, I'd love to be able to present a proposal that way. I'm just not taking the time to go out and do it, but, um, but I think it's a good idea. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, certainly hard, certainly, uh, need to, uh, understand whether your audience, uh, will, will, uh, spend the time watching such a video, uh, coupled with a, a, uh, you know, uh, written document, but I still think it'd be a cool way to differentiate, um, again, just the core, Hey, here, here's how our response, what, here's why our response and the way that we crafted this response actually matters. Um, and you know, there's a lot of jargon that we throw around as, as partners all the time. And just being able to break that down and provide a little bit of a human, you know, a human face really to, to the RFP, I think could go a long way, but Anyways, uh, we should probably stop talking about ourselves and, and what we wish, uh, folks would do when it comes to RFPs. Um, and can I tell you about an interesting conversation I had uh, last week with Rob Zinkin, Mickey? Sure. Okay, great. And then I want to get into. Because I know, well, I know, well, I know. Once you get there, we'll spin it to, we'll connect it to. Tell, tell us about it. Okay, great, great. Um, so 
Rob Zinkin uh, was uh, spent 20 plus years working in marketing communications at a variety of institutions. Um, he was at IU, uh, Indiana University, for for a long time, and he recently wrote this post in Inside Higher Ed, which is really worth uh, checking out. Um, if you just Google the future of marketing and communications in like a post-COVID world or something, I can't remember what the actual title is. I'll throw it into the the show notes, but you'll find it. Um, and in the piece, Rob talks a lot about the difference between outcomes and, and outputs with respect to Marcom teams. And so his, the big argument he sort of makes is that in a post-COVID-19 world, the future of marketing communications teams are is going to change dramatically. And what he says is that for years, Marcom teams have sort of been more output-focused, Um uh, more than they have been outcome focused. And what he means by that is uh, essentially, right, you've got the enrollment management teams, you've got advancement teams, you've got, you know, UR teams, uh, other departments kind of coming to Marcom and saying, hey, you know, we need these brochures for this event that we're having, or hey, you know, we need a new email template, or hey, you know, we need a new, uh, a new billboard or whatever it might be, right? Um, and the Marcom teams have been very, very focused on essentially being like a factory in taking in requests and uh, cranking out uh, deliverables. Um, and, uh, you know, in an era where budgets are being scrutinized, you know, left and right and universities, uh, most anyways, are, are looking to cut major costs uh, this year and, and probably into fall of 2021 and fall of 2022, as, as many say, um, Every expense is uh, is evaluated and is evaluated and looked at a little bit more closely um, um, than maybe historically has been looked at. So what Rob says is that in order for Marcom teams to remain uh, to to maintain any sort of semblance of meaningful budget, they're actually going to have to really really shift the way that they are run and the way that they report on their value to the institution. So what he says is that the best Marcom teams will actually transition to becoming outcome focused. And meaning what they will do is they will work more closely with advancement and enrollment management to say, okay, what are your goals at the end of the day with respect to bottom line metrics like applications and enrolled students or you know do new donors or an, an increase in in average gift or something like that on the advancement side of things and then what marketing will do what marcom teams will do is they will say okay in order to get you there well you want this you know these five brochures and these three billboards we could go and do that for you but right we're not confident that the outcome, right? The 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 ten percent increase in enrollment will be achieved uh, by this by the implementation of this strategy. Instead, what we want to do and what we suggest is that you do X, Y, and Z. And so, what uh, in a nutshell, what he's suggesting here is that the Marcom teams of tomorrow are going to have to become a lot more strategic in how they think about doing work for various departments within the context of an institution. And anyways, you can read his his whole uh, article and or I actually interviewed him for our core uh, Thursday segment. You can go listen to that podcast if you want to hear more. But I just wanted to, to touch on that because I I think it it makes a ton of sense. And this is what we're already seeing in the industry. We've seen this, you know, uh, happening for a while now, but especially in a post-COVID-19, you know, world, 
um, where every dollar is being is being scrutinized. Uh, I couldn't agree more with Rob here. And so, if you're a Marcom professional and you're listening to to this uh, right now, I would just strongly encourage you to think critically. And again, listen to the podcast uh, with my interview with Rob. But think really critically about how could your team become more outcomes driven. Like, what does it actually look like to deliver, uh, you know, uh, deliverables, so to speak, that are actually aligned with the various institution uh, at the departmental at the department, the department level, sorry, I can't even speak. Um, And how do you ensure that what you are giving those departments is actually aligned with university wide goals, and is actually uh, measurable against metrics and and bottom line metrics like enrollment and and uh, advancement. So Anyways, I will stop talking and and shut up now, but I thought that this was just a really, really interesting conversation that I think is long overdue, and I'm glad that we're talking about it now. (laughs) Well, you know, don't dismiss your brilliance in bringing that topic in right now after we just talked about RFPs, and we go to where I wanted to talk about today because it is all connected, and I knew you would do that. You you snuck it in, and and it, (laughs) it is all connected. Because we are talking about RFP processes specifically for technology. We're talking about outcomes rather than outputs. And we also want to talk about dashboards. Yes. Um, and we're talking about technology that provides data that then gives you the dashboard. Because the only way you can really get to that outcome focus is if you have the data to guide you into what the outcome needs to be. And then can be measured to know if you got to that outcome. Absolutely. Yep. And, you know, I think that... Yep. Everyone, right, we're just picking on Marcom here, but everyone is going to be way more uh, driven by outcomes and budgets are going to be decided based off of, okay, great. Like, I know that you you want this $100,000 to do this thing, but when we gave you $100,000, you know, last year, what did you do with it? What, like, what, how, how did that actually increase the bottom line? And I think for years, like, Marcom within the context of, of a university has been able to... Uh, and, you know, I don't mean this too harshly, but has been able to live off of like vanity metrics a little bit like, oh, well, like we serve this, uh, we, we generated these impressions or, you know, we helped serve uh, 200 brochures to this department, right? And like, I think the reality of the situation is just that it everything is going to change now and everything is going to be much, much, much more connected to and really in order to justify any additional allocation of budget to Marcom or to your department, you're really going to have to prove how does this actually align with the overall university objectives, like the overall goals of of the leadership of the institution, and how can you prove that beyond a reasonable doubt so that you can uh, access that that extra budget? Well, you know, and I'll just say, the marketing team is is I. Well, I think what we're seeing, let me back up a little bit. I think what we're seeing here in that conversation, um, which is really important and really timely, and if I even look back to our last few uh, conversations we've had as we lead to this episode, we're we're getting to the evolution where where, where many more schools are much more able to provide the marketing team the data that they need to even get to an outcome-focused piece. We've gotten to be pretty good at measuring at a deeper level what's happening with our applicant pool. But what happens prior to that, we haven't had a whole lot of data to know. 
So all marketing is left with is this is how many people are on a website or how many people clicked an ad. We're not able to tie together routinely uh, for most institutions the person that clicked on the ad that then filled out a form and then applied. And even if we have it, we haven't always looked at all of that. Yeah. And we're just getting there. And I think that's why it can be um, the Marcom team of the future. You know, five years ago, it couldn't be. We weren't ready. Um, it needed to be then, but it was. We just weren't there. We didn't have that. But now we have the ability so that we can begin that shift. Hmm. And 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 I'll also say a little bit because I see it. I don't see it as much. I'm seeing a shift. But you know, we treat the marketing team sometimes like an agency that we, we go to them. I need this brochure. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I think as part when we make this shift to outcome focused, we it's the challenge for marketing teams is going to be we now have to become the consultants. Exactly. We need to be the driver, not let the person coming to us be the driver because we understand what we need to achieve. And I love that idea of that we need a 10% increase in enrollment because a lot of times I still find today and when I go to an institution, that is part of the goal, but that goal isn't given to the marketing team clearly so that when they come out and make it, you know, here's our, our uh, suggested changes to the brochure, they don't understand the role that brochure needs to play in getting that 10% increase in enrollment. Yeah. Because, you know, if you, if you're not pumping out a lot of additional dollars uh, on different new strategies, you, you know, and you want to still get a 10% increase. And I say this, I probably already said it several times, This, but you cannot tweak what you're doing for 10% increase. Yeah, yeah. That, that doesn't happen. You have to more dramatically change. So a new brochure that's just slightly prettier and more uh, modern than the last one you did isn't going that's, – that's a tweak. That's barely <laughs> a tweak. That's just updating content. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So we have to start – and. And once we know that we are looking for 10% more, we need to bring our marketing colleagues into the table for those conversations to let them contribute their ideas on what they need to do and what they think we need to do together to help get us to that 10% increase. And this so, is this, let's say that brings us to data. Yeah, that's I was going to say that's a great transition. So because that's yeah. going to be Yeah, that's going to be what really I think gets us to this conversation. So what do we need in dashboards because I I really want to try to hit on um, some of that and, we, and, and look at technology and, um, you know, dashboards have come a long way um, for some folks. Others um, still aren't using them that well. Um, but uh, I, I thought it would be good if we just really jump in here and talk about some of the dashboards. I think last was it last week we talked about um, CRM 101, CRM yeah. 201, and, and maybe look at some of the difference there with, with dashboards. Yes, yes. Um, so, uh, it, well, if you have questions off the bat, then just fire them, and I'll let that drive kind of the conversation. I don't know if you have questions; otherwise, I'll I can jump in and, and go. Yeah, no, I have some questions, and sorry, I think there's a there's a brief delay in uh in our Zoom here. So I'm saying yes, yes, and then oh, you're okay. pausing and then responding, but it's great. No, no, uh, <laughs> kick us off, Mickey, and and talk to us a little. Like one of the things that I one of the questions that Enrollify gets a lot is specifically about okay talk to us you guys use terms like admissions dashboards you use terms like crms like you talk about having uh being able to make really data informed decisions with things like your marketing strategy your your enrollment management strategy whatever it might be can you just talk to us a little bit about like what what is like a beginner uh dashboard versus like an advanced dashboard look like both from like a technical standpoint and then also from like a an insights standpoint so, um, well, I look at 
A, who's receiving the information, um, B, how that information changes based on who's receiving it. So if an institution says, here, here's our dashboard, there are five uh, visualized charts on there, and it's shared from, uh, it's, a, it's the same one they use from everything from an admissions counselor all the way to the president of the college or university. That's basic. Um, because what the president needs to see and understand is not very helpful and relevant to what the admissions counselor sure, needs to see and sure. understand. Right. So uh, that's one of the first things I'm looking at. So, you know, how can a admissions counselor look at a dashboard for herself and say, okay, here's my funnel. Here's where I am. Here's where I'm doing well, where I'm not. And if, let's break that down a little further. Most admission counselors, at least for a traditional program, are going to be broken up with some form of geography, maybe have some specialized programs. Um, but to understand if, you know, if I cover, I don't know, let's just say Florida, Alabama, and Texas. I don't know where I came up with that configuration, but let's say that's my territory. Uh, and then I also have a specialized focus with honors program and psychology. You know, I want to be able to see all of those as a visual. How am I doing in Florida? Are there specific segments within Florida, especially say my institution's based, I don't know, in Georgia. Uh, and that's why I have that particular territory. How, how am I doing within various geographic sections of those states? So that if I'm doing really well or seeing a trend, you know, I'm planning my 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 goals or, or planning, you know, my strategy and approach for my territory right now. You know, if I see that my effort in the panhandle of Florida has really been paying off and I'm seeing more interest for three consecutive years, you know, what am I going to do this year, especially given I may not be able to travel there this time? Yeah. Um, what am I going to do differently to continue to grow that interest? If I see that I'm losing interest in a particular territory, maybe it's just I'm losing interest in Alabama in general. You know, what have I been doing so that I can change that up um, and make that change? Now, from a director standpoint, I might be looking a little um, more globally. I want to see what the counselors see because I need to help mentor and coach them and help them with the strategy and deployment of, of how we're going to approach travel season or non-travel season this year. Um, you know, and – uh, and then I want to be able to see more holistically what does the full pipeline look like? How are we doing with our prospective students? And I want to see some year-to-date information. Um, you know, if I knew, you know, where I was at this point last year and I know how I ended up this year or at least what we think we're going to be ending up this year and I want to go, grow 10%, you know, then I can start looking to understand, you know, where am I? Am I up 2%? Am I up 5%? And start thinking about what else I need to do to get those numbers up. Uh, and then that's going to shift all the way up the uh, the chain, all the way up to the top, where the you know the top person may just want to see the president may want to see. Just tell me where are we with applications. You know the president's probably still mostly focused right now on fall uh, 2020. Um, that's probably where 95 percent of their enrollment focus would be. Um, and um, and so we want to be able to provide that general broader information. But then if I'm you know looking at more advanced, um, you know a if I know I want to grow 10%, generally I'm going to have some specific um, components in my enrollment strategy of how I'm going to get 10% growth. It may be we're going to get 10% growth because we've got a new scholarship fund for honors-based um, students. We're going to apply that. Um, it could be um, uh, we've got a new digital campaign we rolled out. We're going to invest $300,000 off there digital, or, or we've invested more money with uh, one of the third-party firms we use and looking at um, that is a primary thing. So I want to have those, I want to have a, a visual to k tell me how I'm doing in each of those specific areas. 
So what do I mean by that? So if I am, have an honor segment I'm going after, I want to be sure and monitor and see how my honor's population is progressing. Uh, I want to look at you know, a, um, <clears throat> a chart that may connect the scholarship amount I'm offering a student to better understand what's happening um, for the scholarships that we're giving out for honor students. Pull that out separate just to see how that's progressing. How much are we awarded? What does it look like, you know, in December in terms of applications? What does it look like in February uh, and March of next year? Those things, I want to see that. And that's probably something I want to see whomever the recruitment person is responsible for it. Folks in financial aid probably want to see that. Your VP, your director probably all need to see that so that you know how you're doing. So you're really, you, you have those visuals built out for each of those strategies to measure your progress. And if it's a digital campaign I'm measuring, by the way, marketing needs to see that. Yeah. They yeah. need to have that. And, um, uh, and you start working together and you pull, and I used to have a uh, biweekly meeting with uh, the marketing partners I used. I had several different marketing partners I would use uh, and I would bring in um, someone from our marketing team at my institution and myself, and we, I forced everybody together to talk about what we're doing, what results we're seeing, so that if we needed to pivot, uh, and even if the person who's helping me with, um, at the time, this is a long time ago, but was helping me with TV spots, was helping, you know, was seeing something that we could apply for our web um, page or our landing pages, that we could make some ch- um, changes there and try to optimize all the results. But that was one of the um, meetings I required, and I required every third-party person to participate and offer feedback and advice for everybody else because sometimes they're competing against one another in bids um, but I wouldn't allow that uh, for us we we had to go and share um, so so and th- then of course you know but I was going to add one yeah, more yeah, yeah, you go. Know, just really you know globally looking at your your entire pipeline channel by channels or, or phase by phase rather you know what are my enrollment stages and how are people progressing and I want to know what those conversion rates need to be and and uh, your directors and your VPs especially, how are we getting folks from each of those stages? Or if you have a program director, especially at graduate level, you know how are those prospects moving? So if we are investing a lot of money in digital, we know that that conversion rate from um, uh, lead or inquiry to applicant is going to drop if we're getting more of these coming from digital because they don't convert the same way they may if you go and gra- um, grab those leads um, at a fair or something that's more uh, organic. So. So I need to have those expectations in there, but I want to kind of monitor those things uh, at each stage. So go ahead. I know you had a question. No, no, no. This is all fantastic. So, you know, you've given us sort of a a great landscape uh, around here's what uh, these dashboards, a more advanced one and a sort of a, 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 you know, basic dashboard looks like. Here are the various ways in which, here are the various insights that different people need depending on their role, depending on their responsibilities, etc. cetera. Uh, you know, we've touched on this, this need to bring in multiple people into the conversation to access this data, to see these insights, right? Um, and really, right, the, in order to even have these insights, in order to build these dashboards, right, you need software. So can you talk to us for, for the folks out there that are saying, yeah, Mickey, like you are great. Like I get what you're saying. I, I'm in agreement with you that that's what we should do. But my CRM doesn't do that. Or, well, my tech stack at my university just isn't capable of providing these specific insights and or we don't have the infrastructure set up to be able to access these insights that do exist in our software. But like, so so for folks that are uh, asking, like, you know, uh, thinking right now, 
How do, do I need a new tool? Do I need a new CRM? What are some specific things that are, you know, in, in 2020 must haves from an enrollment marketing, you know, tech stack standpoint? Like what specific tools do folks need in order to have dashboards like the ones that you've described? Well, most of what I described can be built um, within a CRM. And so when I find institutions that do have a CRM, most, most especially four-year institutions at this point have some form of a CRM. Uh, and, and if they don't have the dashboards, uh, it's usually more of a people resource than a technology limitation. I mean, there will be some limitations regardless with, with, with the technology, and it just kind of depends on what you want to do. For a long time, uh, folks struggled trying to get the, the perfect – uh, match for year-to-date progress within uh, some of the platforms, and, and usually that's been addressed. There have also been some additional um, technologies that have come up that allow you to extract CRM data. You know, something like a Tableau, for example. Um, you know, data visualization tools that let you extract that data from multiple systems potentially, and then put it together so that you can present it and better get that full picture that you're looking for. You know, in, in today's world, I, I like to try to do all we can to keep that inside of the CRM, at least that data that I want at the, all the way from the VP of enrollment down, I want that data, at least, at least director down inside the CRM. If it has to be pulled out, it's very hard to connect it uh, and see it easily without toggling. And that becomes complex. And, and that's how people tend to lose habit and focus of checking those numbers. If it's in a dashboard and it's on their home screen, as soon as they log in, then boom, right away, I see that every day. It's sure. the same tool that I'm going to toggle to that's going to tell me, hopefully going to tell me what my tasks need to be and what prospects are um, I need to be touching base with for that particular day. So um, so that, you know, technology should be there. And if it isn't or, well, I guess the biggest danger to me is if you don't know if it can do it or not for sure. Yeah. That's problem number one. Um, find out. Uh, find out maybe call the salesperson and ask. Say, look, we don't know if this does this. Um, we're going to have to go uh, elsewhere for some type of third-party technology to get us there if it can't. I need an answer from you, someone that can walk me through it if it can't, because we can't figure it out. Or B, you know, a lot of times you can the each of those platforms have some type of library and resource that with with help and support and um, video training. Um, you know, Salesforce calls their training Trailhead. Slate has a Slate library. You know, you've got um, all of these opportunities there to to um, find out and go in their user communities. All of them will have a user community. You can ask those types of questions. So the, the ability to, um, to find out is, is there. Um, you can get that. And then you know what, you, what your true limitations are. Uh, and I would start building up until I hit that limitation. And then you at least have made some progress. And then you can figure out, you know, how do we work around it? Are we going to do a workaround within the system? Do we need to have something else that comes in? Um, but there's a lot of pressure. You know, there's just growing pressure every year on enrollment. Uh, and, and and just from your interview, you, the pressure for marketing is coming. If you're not outcomes and you're more output, there's going to be more pressure for outcome. Yeah. Um, we're moving to that. That's just that's just the natural shift that's happening. So, you know, needing more of that data is, is there. So connecting, you know, what you're doing from a digital standpoint into what's happening in your true prospect pool is an important step. Um, so the, the dashboard piece, um, you know, it, it's a must, it, to me, it's a must have, I, I couldn't, that, that is one of the key elements. If I'm selecting a serum that I'm looking at is what is this going to tell me, at least at an executive level, 
Uh, and then once I know from in the tool what's happening, how can the tool help me respond to make up any gaps or take advantage of, of new strengths that are, are occurring in our prospect pool? I love that. And, you know, one of the things that might be a good takeaway for folks is, uh, you know, less about uh, limitations that, uh, you know, uh, are associated with your CRM or, or your, your SIS and more about how do you as the enrollment management team, especially if you're director of admissions uh, or at the VP level even, how do you go and talk with different stakeholders within the university and say, okay, what is it that you need to see? Like, what is it, what specific insights do you need access to in order to do your job better? Um, and I feel like it'd be really, really, really neat. And I'm sure there's a zillion examples of, of this, uh, uh, of institutions doing this well. I don't hear enough stories of, of, of folks that are sort of nailing it here. But it'd be, I think one of the, the big things that at least we see a lot is this gap of like, okay, there's this one person who's like the, you know, the slate expert or, you know, the target X like support person internally or whatever it might be. And everything is like run through Sam, right? And like Sam, Sam knows all and Sam needs to give us the information that we need when we need it. And that, and that's great. And Sam might be, Sam might be a genius. And, and, uh, if you're a small institution, um, you know, maybe, maybe Sam is enough, but for, for many people, I feel like, a lot of the time these these uh, softwares can actually do a ton right to to make the day-to-day lives easier for not just enrollment management but marketing and communications for advancement for for other folks as well and so it'd be really neat to see if to see examples more examples of uh, the VPs of enrollment going out and saying what information do you need in order to do your job better what information you know does the uh, does the president's office need in order to make really good decisions on uh, budget for next year? And how can we help sort of facilitate the dashboards necessary in order to access and, and really garner meaningful insights? We're, we're that, that, that's, that's, I would say over the last year and a half, two years, I'm seeing many more of those conversations. Um, those are conversations that are at the table when we're with a lot of clients. So I know we're starting to make pro- uh, progress. Um, you know, I, I even have a client that, that, you know, was, uh, upfront at the beginning of a conversation. Like we want to know not just how well these campaigns are converting to help us get new students. We want to look at the students that are finishing our program and graduating. How did various marketing campaigns help with folks to get all the way through the program? So if we're losing a, a student from this particular campaign, we're losing a, a, a number of students from this campaign one or two semesters in, you know, we want to know that, yeah. um, which is, which is to me a big leap um, uh, and, and figuring out, um, you know, how to truly assess that is, is something that I'm, I'm always cautious about because there's so much that happens, you know, once you enroll that impact that experience, um, and so we, to really understand that it, there's a lot of extra things that go into it, but, but I'm just, you know, that's, that conversation is there. There are people that have that thought in mind uh, and are thinking about it. So that, and, and again, the technology is at a point where it's allowing us for the first time to be able to see yeah, and really start to think and understand it. So I think that's, that, that's part of the tipping point here is, is now that technology can help us a little bit and it's getting close to being able to do some of those things like that. Um, and, and, and not even some. There's technology that can do it all, uh, but um, not everyone can afford all the work it puts into to make the technology do some of those things yet. But it's 
it's um, it's there. And I think we'll continue to see more of that come about. Well, fantastic. We are uh, uh, out of time today. Unfortunately, we, we could talk about this stuff all day. Maybe what would be awesome, uh, Mickey, for a, a future episode, maybe even just uh, next week, we could talk a little bit more about uh, what's important to consider for folks before they select a, a new CRM. I know that I've had several people reach out to me even just this week asking about, hey, uh, we're in the process of doing uh, a major overhaul. We're evaluating all of the different software that we use at our institution and looking for for a reset. Um, what are the various things that that we should consider um, as we sort of enter into this process? And so maybe you could share uh, insights that that you've garnered over the years working with a number of institutions to to help them do this very thing. I think that especially folks that are in transition between systems, there's huge opportunity to use the kind of search and uh, eventual uh uh, adoption of a new software, especially if that's a new CRM, as an excuse to break down a lot of the silos that do exist within the context of an, of an institution. So I think it'd be really worth us kind of drilling into to a conversation around the do's and the don'ts, you know, the the questions to ask, the uh, the the clarity to seek before uh, signing up for uh, and and purchasing um, any sort of any sort of software, whether that's a new CRM, a new SIS, etc. So, so this is what week five. This so is this week five. Episode five A. Yeah, and we could do five B. Next week we'll do episode five B. There we uh, go. And then we'll just skip to episode seven. There so we go. We could throw people off as they're scrolling through all the episodes and catching up. They're like, "What? Where's episode six? Uh, so I think it's a good idea. I think we should continue. I do have thoughts, and you know, it's it's one of the reasons I think I have a lot of thoughts on it is as a firm, you know, and as someone oversees our technology practice, we sit on both sides of the table. Um, in terms of helping write the RFP documents and helping institutions think through the responses. And also as, as a firm who submits some of those responses to an RFP, um, we, we, we totally understand that. And I think it would be a good conversation to have and expand upon this uh, next week. Sounds great, sir. Have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy the mountains. And uh, uh, we'll you talk to you same. soon. All right. Take care. All right. Thank you. Thank you.